Shalom, everybody. Good to Shabbos. Today we are learning Shaftim Parakhas. In today's parak, we're going to see the last parak describing the Shaftim Gidain. The parak is going to describe how Gidain finishes off all the work. He ends up killing all the enemies. And at the end of the parak, Gidain is going to die. And unfortunately, Kaisal is going to back to the cycle of doing Abayi Zar. So let's see Parakhas. Pasakalaf, I am so the Anshi Ephraim, the people of Ephraim, come to, to come to Gideon afterwards and they asked, they were upset. They said, why didn't you call us for help when you went into war? Why didn't you call us to come through the battle? So Pasuk Beis, they were very angry. Pasuk Beis, so Gideon responds very calmly, very softly, that, no, you don't understand, Ephraim, we understand, you guys are much stronger than us, your warriors are the best warriors in Christ, so don't worry, we didn't call you because we didn't need you, because we had other soldiers. So the Pasuk Gimel describes how Gideon tells them how you guys were incredible, you guys are incredible warriors, you captured the, the officers already, we did it, we just didn't need you. And the Pasuk ends off that they were calmed down, Gideon successfully defused the situation. We'll come back to this, you see the beauty, the, the mile of Gideon over here that didn't respond with any tightness against them, he didn't respond angrily, he responded very softly, very calmly. And the future situation. So Gideon brings the 300 men who are left with him. So now Gideon is just trying to finish up the job, finish up the battle. So he comes to Anchi Sukkis and he says, can, can you please give us some bread? Give us, give us some food for our soldiers so we can finish the war. Because we're very hungry. So the officers responded, you have the kings of Midian yet? You have Zavach and Tamana with you? And like the first one, we explained that they're afraid that if they lose the war, then they were gonna and, if, and they provided bread for Gidain, so they're gonna the enemies are gonna take revenge against them. So that's why they're afraid to provide the bread. Because we're afraid to give you bread until the war is finished. responds because you guys didn't help us out. Therefore, when I come back and say, I'm successful, I'm going to kill you with the thorns. I'm going to kill you when we finish up the war. So, so now Gideon goes to the, to the people of Penuel and he asks the same thing. Can you please give us bread? So they, they respond in the same way. They respond in the same thing that we do not want to give you because we're afraid. So Gideon responds to the people of Penuel that when I come back, I'm going to knock down this tower because again, you do not... Help us, do not give us food. There are 15,000 soldiers left. Because there are 120,000 who were killed, there's still 15,000 left. So Gideon comes to fight against the last camp. So they successfully wipe out the camp. So Gideon successfully captures Abel Tamana, and the rest of the camp, they were terrified, they were afraid. So now Gideon finally finished up the battle, he finished up the war. So now Gideon comes back to Sukkot, and he asks one of the children of the city, he says, write down these dikna here. And he asks them to write down all of the Zikanim in the city. 77 Zikanim were in the city. So he comes back to the city and tells them, here are the kings that, that you're afraid, afraid of them. 
So now you tell them, here are the kings that you're afraid of, and I successfully capture them, and now I'm going to take revenge. And he killed, he wiped out some of the people on Chesukis because they did not show their cars and dive, they did not provide them with the bread that he asked for. The Mepharshim will point out that Rabbi Nalz Nakdamu Shaftim points out how was how was Gideon allowed to do this? They, were, they weren't Chayat Misa, so why was he allowed to kill them? So the Rabbi Noah Zakdama gives a few differences between a Shevet and a Melech and a few similarities. So one of the similarities he brings down is that a Shevet has the status of a Melech in the sense that he's allowed to give Einshim and be Makin Shalei that sometimes the Shechonach brings down, the Gideon Chayat Mishpah, that sometimes the Besman feels that even though technically the person is not Chayat Misa, but they feel that in a specific situation the person deserves to be killed, so the Melech is Besman allowed to give punishment to that person. So over here, Gideon was able to execute his rights as a king or as a shafet and therefore he was able to execute them he was able to kill them not that so they knocked down the tower of Penuel and he killed people in the city so now Gideon asks the two kings who did you kill so they responded, we killed someone who looked exactly like you. So now Gideon responds, you killed my brothers, the sons of my mother. Gideon tells him, if you didn't kill my brothers, I would have let you live. But now that you killed my brothers, I'm going to kill you. So now Gideon turns to his son, he says, please, Please kill the kings over here. However, the Nar was afraid. He was still a kid. He was still a child. And therefore, he was afraid to kill them. So, tell Gideon, you kill us yourself because you're a, you're a big person. You're not afraid. So, Gideon ends up killing out. And he takes, out the, takes the jewelry off the camels, off the neck of the camels. So here, the now that Klai Yisrael saw how successful Gideon was, they asked Gideon, can you please be the ruler over us, you, your children, and your grandchildren? Again, the Rabbanah points out on that dumb that one of the differences between a Shefet and a Melech is that a Shefet does not give over the Machas, does not give over the shef, the, the status of being a Shefet to his children, versus a Melech, in general, the Machas does go from father to son. So the children are asking that even though technically you're Shefet and shouldn't transfer to your children, however, we're asking that you, that you, your children and your grandchildren, that it should pass on to your descendants as well. So Gideon responds, Keshat, I'm sorry, but the Pasuk finishes off, Keshat, because you saved us from Midian, Pasuk of Gimel, Gideon responds, Gideon responds beautifully, I will not rule over you, my children will not rule over you, rather Hashem, you have to always recognize, always remember, that as Hashem is in charge, Hashem is one who performs all the needs, the Pasuk of Dalit, so one thing he requests from them is that they give him the booty, they give them the nose rings that they captured in the war. The Rufarsha point out that even though they weren't really Yishma'elim, sometimes the Midyadim are called Yishma'elim. So they all agree. And they all throw the nose rings there. It's very heavy. There was so much gold over there that the weight was 1700. And this is excluding the jewelry they took around, took from the necks of the camels and the other garments they got from the kings of Midian. And he ended up hanging it. He made this aphid out of all this jewelry and he hung it up in his city. Unfortunately, this wasn't. This was a tragedy because we're going to see that Klaisol strays because of the aphid. It ends up causing Klaisol pain. It ends up causing Klaisol trouble. Midian now is Kafu to Klaisal. Klaisal is successful in killing them, wiping them out. Whatever remained was Kafu to Klaisal. But Tishkei to Arts, Abraham Shana, and Megiddo, and the land was quiet again for 40 years, like we spoke out, even though. 
throughout Sefer Shevetim, we see this vicious cycle of Klai Yisrael doing Averis, then the Shevet comes along. However, we have to remember that the general situation, most of the years were actually years of quiet, years of Klai Yisrael serving HaKadosh Baruch which again is just really Gidin. We saw hey, he was named Yerubal by his father. Goes back to his house. So Gidin had 70 children. He had many different wives. Gidin also had Pilagish, who had a child, and he named the child Gidin was Nifter. Gidin died at a ripe old age, and he was buried in the portion of his father. Unfortunately, again, after Gidin dies, Klaus all strays after my desire. Again, they start serving my desire. Klaus does not remember. Who just performed all the miracles? Also, they did not. They did not show the proper curse to Gidin, who was their leader, who was successful, who helped them out. That really, Klaisal was indebted to Gidin. Gidin helped them out. Gidin saved them. And unfortunately, Klaisal did not pay Gidin back and did not treat their family with the proper gratitude, did not treat them appropriately. Going back to the beginning of the parak, the parak started off that the Anshi Ephraim come to Gidin, they're very upset, and they're screaming at Gidin, and they say, how come you didn't call us to war? So we saw that Gidin responded very calmly, very softly, and he was able to defuse the situation. So if you take a look at Ben Yaina, Parak Tesvav, the Pasuk in Mishlei says, that a person who speaks softly, He's going to be able to stop a machlekes, stop somebody who's discriminating him. So there are many rights over there that the hisir adam laharglas l'shayniv manarach. A person should always train himself to speak calmly, to speak softly. In order that even when somebody is speaking to you, this is the opposite of speaking in an angry tone, in an angry manner. Because a person who speaks calmly, a person who speaks softly, and doesn't respond with anger, he's going to be able to successfully defuse the situation. He's going to successfully be able to bring shalom even when somebody is screaming at you. So again, a very important insight when a person's in a machlaikis, when a person comes and with a strong tightness, if somebody comes against you with very strong tightness and screaming, screaming at you, the Pasuk of Yerushalayim Malach, is is explaining that the way to successfully calm the situation down is not to respond in an angry tone, not to respond, not to scream back, rather to respond softly, to respond calmly, and that's a way to successfully bring Shalom, to successfully stop Machlegas in its tracks. Moving to the end of the parak, the Pasuk brought down over here, that Gidon had a Pelegish, so it's a very interesting discussion in the Rishonim, down to the Achreinim, even Allah Lamaisa, who is allowed to have a Pelegish, and is it the proper thing to do? So let's just start with a Chuba of the Rajma, which is Mirchus the Ramban, Simon Reish Pedalot. So the show over there asked the question, how could it be that Gidon was such a big Shaifet, how could he have taken a Pelegish? So the Raj over there responds, he's responding actually to Rabbi Yainat, so he responds in the Chuba like this, he says, and he says, it's not really such a question, but what exactly was the question, how was Gidon able to take a, how was Gidon able to take a Pelegish? Of course it's Mutter. That the status of Pelagish, even though the Gemara condition talks about it, Pelagish doesn't have Ksuba, doesn't have, it's not a full condition. However, it's a, specific, it's a situation where you're Miyaka, the woman, and she's only going to be married to you. Of course, you're not allowed to be Mizan. However, he explains to buy a Pelagish, says the Rajma, when the wife, when the woman of the Pelagish is coming to the person's house, and she's specifically for the one, for the one person. The children from Pelagish are considered your children. And the Rajma says, David also married Pelagish. And he continues going through. The Rajma says that we find other great people also married Pelagish. We find David, we find Gidon, other people, great people married Pelagish. Now the problem is, the shadows that the Raman Paskins that a Pelagish is only mutter for a king. So now we have two options. Either we could say that Gidon had the status of a Melech, 
Or we could say, so the Ketzim Mishnataka brings us down, because Ramban asks, asks this Kasha on the Rambam. And Ramban asks, I we find the Gidin married to Pilagish, we find the other people married to Pilagish, and the they weren't kings. So the Ketzim Mishnah responded, the Ketzim Mishnah answered that Enechanami, you're right, the Rambam really holds that only a king's allowed to marry a Pilagish. So what's the shot Gidin married a Pilagish? So the Ketzim Mishnah explains, you take a look, he explains, that the situation was all of these cases. The case was that originally they were in Amavria, and when then they, they did Hiyot, which means that all of these people, for example, this Pelagish that Gidein married originally was the Amavria of Gidein, and then afterwards he married her, and therefore in that situation everybody agrees that that's not a regular case of Pelagish, and even a Hedyot is allowed to do that as well. So that's again just an interesting You see the Rambam, Ramban, who's allowed to take a Pelagish. We saw the truth of the Raja, the Raja says that it's totally okay. We see that great people did it. There's what to discuss exactly the dynamics of a Pelagish, and is it the most lechatchilah situation of marriage? There was actually a Chilis I believe the Ivets wanted to bring back Pilagish to solve some of the situations that were going on with Shaduchim at the time. Again, definitely now the Pesachim Zmanazeh are extremely anti a person taking a Pilagish, and it could be again, like the Ram says, only much of Ramelech. Definitely want to discuss in the Sugya of Pilagish. Just one more Ara. The Pasuk right there at the end of the parak that after Gideon is Nefter, after Gideon dies, Klaesel turns back the serving of Adazara, and then the Pasuk Dao, the Pasuk, um, sorry, Pasuk Lamanay says that they didn't do Chesed with the house of Gideon. So it's very interesting if you take a look at the Yaakut Shemani. The Yaakut Shemani says that these are intertwined, that the reason why Klaesel end up turning their backs to Hashem is because originally they didn't show the proper respect, the proper appreciation to the house of Gideon, and with that, since they were not makritayv to Gideon, they also denied HaKadosh Baruch as well. The Mlashul Yaakut Shemani and Shavtim it's like this, it writes, Ilu Asu Chasid and Beitz Yuvalo, Zirkos Hashem, Havi Komisho Eisa Chasid, Kilo Maidu Chalisan Jasakalish Burkham Yamashati Sumitzrai, Komisho Eisa Chasid, Kilo Kaifer. Says Yaakov Shemani, the reason why they ended up denying Kalish Baruch was because they also denied the Chasid that Gidan did, which is what Rabbi Machai writes in Furish. If you take a look in, par- in Shemai's Parak Aleph, he writes, Kala Kaifer Vitevase Shachavere. That a person who denies who denies the good that his friend does for him, he's an ingrateful person. Eventually, he's going to deny Hakadosh Baruch Hu as well. So again, a very important insight. We have to recognize that gratitude to other people is intertwined with expressing gratitude to Hashem. There's two beautiful insights on this idea of Haida, the idea of gratitude. The author of, the author of Kelm explained this magic. This magic just said that if you deny your gratitude to your friend, you're eventually going to deny gratitude to Hakadosh Baruch Hu. The author from Kelm explained that this is referring to seeing your friend's milus. When it says that means that you're able to see the good in your. Friend, meaning because each person, every person in the world has milas and chasrenas. So says the author from Kalim, if you can train yourself to see the milas, to see the positive of your friend, then you'll also be able to see that even though a person technically looks around the world and sometimes he sees ra, he sees evil, he sees things which technically don't make sense, but if you can train yourself to see the good, then you'll also be able to see all the tremendous chasid Hashem does. So that, that explains the author of Kelm, that when the Medrash is telling us that we have to train ourselves to look for the positive, to look for the good things in our friends, and that will automatically train us to see all the good that Akash Brechel does for us as well. It's a beautiful Rav Dessler, Rav Dessler, in the first chilek in page 46 he's going through the Inyan of Akar Satev and over there he explains that the entire Inyan of Akar Satev the source of being a grateful person or ingrateful person stems from one thing he says there's two types of people in the world there's a person who's a giver a person who's a taker a person who's always looking to give to other people he's always looking to see how he can help somebody else automatically when somebody gives him something back of course he's going to appreciate it he's not looking for anything he doesn't expect anything so of course He's going to be grateful. However, a person who's a taker, a person who's always looking to just take, what can I get from somebody else? What can I take from him? He'll never be grateful. He expects everybody else to give him everything, and he never appreciates, he never really, he never really 
appreciates what anybody else gives for him. And even when he says thank you, says Reb Dessler, it's not because he actually appreciates it, it's just because he wants more from the other person. So with, the, with, with this Reb Dessler, we can explain this Medrash, this idea very nicely, that a person who denies the good of his friend, a person who's just looking to take from the world, and he's, ne- and he's never looking to express his appreciation, so of course he's not going to appreciate, he's not going to be able to recognize and thank HaKadosh Baruch for all the good that he does for him. So again, just an important thing to say to remember, that by training ourselves to look for the good, to look for the tayv, to look for the positive in other people, as well as all, the, all of the things that people do for us to appreciate it, that will also lead us to recognize all the positive, all the incredible things that Hashem does for us as well. Have a wonderful Shabbos.